Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. My name is Arlene Phillips, and you're listening to Eleven, the official theater podcast. Hello and welcome to Eleven, the official theatre podcast that brings the biggest stars and creatives together in one place to discuss life in the arts. She's the multi-award winning and two-time Olivier nominated dance and stage superstar that's created some of the most iconic and recognisable pieces of work to ever appear on a stage, in dance and in the world of music. The genius behind music videos of How Will I Know and I Wanna Dance With Somebody for the late, great Whitney Houston, alongside private dancer for Tina Turner and many, many others, she's no stranger to working with the very, very best. With signature work in stage productions including Starlight Express, Saturday Night Fever, The Wizard of Oz and The Sound of Music, she's turning her hand to revising perhaps her most infamous show, Grease, with a brand new take on a rather classic tale serving as choreographer. And if she's not busy enough, she's joining forces with a certain other Strictly Come Dancing face to bring the life of the legendary music star Cher to the UK stage with the debut of The Cher Show, a musical that sees her lead as director. She's also been recognised for her work by Her Majesty the Queen and appointed a dame for services to dance and charity. So here, in an exclusive conversation, we discuss what we can all expect from the much-anticipated arrival of The Share Show and why the music icon is somebody that she's always dreamed of working with, why returning to find something new from Greece was a personal thrill and why she connects with one of the characters perhaps a little more than Sandy. Plus, we talk through her legendary career, signature shows, bringing to life those previously mentioned music videos for Whitney and Tina, why her damehood is a deeply personal and overwhelming moment in her career, overcoming the odds as a young girl wanting to make it big in the world of dance, and what she hopes is her lasting legacy for our industry. It's the legendary Dame Arlene Phillips here now on this, the next episode of Eleven, the official theatre podcast. To ensure the safety of all involved in this episode of Eleven, Arlene and I connected for this conversation digitally, so please forgive any brief moments while we wait for the internet to catch up. Enjoy. They're the superstar double Olivier-nominated creative that's once again taking the world of theatre by storm, so please help me welcome to this the next episode of Eleven. Good afternoon, Dame Arlene Phillips. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. And I should say that I feel incredibly, incredibly spoiled today. So thank you so much in advance for giving me the most amount of sort of creative juices to get flowing because we have two very exciting projects to talk to you about. But before all that happens, I just want to talk to you about the return of theatre because it felt so far away during the pandemic and it's back. It's in full force and it just feels normal again. And I can imagine for you as a creative as someone that adores and worships the world of theatre it just feels great to have it back right it's incredible it's emotional it still feels like you're on a rocky mountainside and you're walking up and it's all great but you just hope that the next climb is going to be okay and then the next climb is going to be okay it's just weird because I was never ever used to thinking cautiously about theatre and I think something inside has triggered that with the pandemic but you know hope is a wonderful wonderful gift 
And my hope is that theatre will just continue as it is now, onwards and forwards forever. Absolutely. And it does, as you say, you know, cautiously, but it is coming back in in full force where possible. And I think that for us is very exciting. And I, I sort of joked at the start that I feel very spoiled that there are lots of projects to talk to you about today. So let's dive into one of them. Let's talk about The mm-hmm. Share Show, because this is a production in America that like people couldn't believe existed. So the fact that there's this brand new production coming to the UK, and we're going to get to just dive into the world of Share and your creative alongside OT just feels very, very spoilt for us as an audience. So tell me just a little bit about how this project came to you, because I can imagine when you've got someone that's sold over 100 million records, they've got Grammys and Emmys and every single award you could think going. Is this a project that you immediately go, of course, I want to be part of it? Or do you go, hold on a second. This is someone with a huge legacy. I need to take a beat. How did it play out for you? The minute I was asked to do this, I wanted to do it. I have worked with so many divas in my life. Whitney Houston, Aretha Franklin, Tina Turner. I mean, the list goes on. The one diva I had never even got close to was Cher. And Cher was like my first love. I I couldn't believe it, you know, when I first heard her sing with Sunny, I Got You, Babe. It was just, it was just everything. And because she's such an icon and I feel a real symbol of strength for women, I want to do this show so badly. This sounds like a silly question, but we're so used to seeing you as a choreographer. But in this role, we get to see you flex your directorial sort of skills and really lean into that. Do you immediately go, yes, I want to direct it? Or do you want to do a bit of both? I guess, why was the directorship sort of the right role for you in this production? I think the directorship was the right role for me in this production, simply because that was what I was invited to do. And OT was also about set to do the choreography. And um, I love OT and I thought, my gosh, we'll make a great team. And I I think, you know, shares a life as seen and recognized by a woman or three very strong women in this case, because the costumes are also by a very strong and powerful uh, um, female, Gabriella Slade, who did the costumes for six. And together, I feel that we will make a powerhouse team. But also looking at Cher's life from a woman's point of view, I think it's important. I think it's really important. And I wanted to do it. I wanted to direct it. We do so often see female-led stories through the male lens. It seems to be sort of what history's done, but it does feel like there is that change coming in. To have you know, women leading this production, that in itself was incredibly progressive, but also exciting. And I can imagine for you as a creative, you're like, yeah, bring it on. We totally are. And we look at Cher's life and each of us individually look at what she means, you know, I'm a very different age to both O.T. and Gabby and Cher's been with me a long time in my life but for them they have the same feeling about her she leads Cher leads where others follow Cher stands up for women she looked at her life and made a decision I'm not going to allow my life to be ruled by men I'm going to be the one that's making decisions And she really was kicking it down, kicking the walls down. I very much feel that I take a great strength from her. So when people see the Share Show, they see it's a production that's on and they can go see it. Does this follow the Mamma Mia route of ABBA music, but a different story? Or is this Share 100% story and music? This is 
definitely shares life. It is her life story. And as she looks back on her life, the scenes unfold and peeping into her life and what made her strong, what made her power song for the lonely, what made her believe, what made these iconic numbers strong enough what made her feel that she has the strength, the power to sing them and to lead. It's wonderful to look back in her life and realize that, you know, she was shy. And one of the key parts of this story is that we see Cher at different and varying parts of her life. There are three actresses playing different parts of Cher in terms of age and development through her life. And that feels incredibly clever to be able to see it from essentially three different perspectives through the eyes of three different actors. It's really interesting because they all play Cher at a different time in her life, but they all comment on each other and recognize, you know, for our young Cher, looking to where her life went, for our middle Cher, you know, looking back and forward, and for Cher as we know her now, the megastar, the superstar, she looks back and they comment throughout it. So it's really fascinating. Young Cher is saying, yeah, but would I do that if I could turn back time? That keeps cropping up if I could turn back time. And you wonder, would Cher have made those choices? And it allows you to watch her thinking about it and the loves in her life and the choices she made with the men in her life. It's absolutely fascinating. It's a fascinating story. And of course, sung, you know, by three great, great vocalists that we've got performing the chairs, they feel honoured to be able to sing those songs. You mentioned at the start about sort of not being able to, or not having had worked with Cher so far in your career, but mm. she's given her seal of approval to this production. I saw that amazing tweet that she did with the cast announcement. I mean, just to know yeah. that she's sort of on your side. I mean, what a seal of approval that is. It's it's incredible. And I am absolutely determined that uh, representing her life on stage I will honour it and do justice to it. Have you dared to dream about the possibility or idea that she may come to see your production? I would love it, but who knows? You know, she will She will do what she will do. Either way, I'm just really proud to be at the helm of this production. It's an opportunity for us just to remind ourselves how kick-ass and cool Cher is. So thank you in advance for that. And it's very, very exciting. Now, I mentioned there were two productions that I wanted to talk about. So let's move on to the second one, and that is Grease, which is a show yeah. that's in incredibly close to your heart does it does it feel like a full 360 experience for you getting to sort of dive back into the world of Greece it's wonderful diving back into the world of Greece I mean Greece has been such a big part of my life uh, and led to so many things um, when I was first asked to choreograph the production by Robert Stigwood, I was overwhelmed. I, I really, really could not believe it. And it was one of the most exciting projects. And the first time that I did Greece, which started at the Dominion and ran somewhere uh, in the UK or Australia for 25 years. And then that particular production, was about to finally close down and a new production 
spring up. And I was very lucky to ask to create new choreo- choreography with a very, a very different approach to Greece, very much based on the original musical, more than film, and grittier, tougher, and, and to, to create the choreography for it. So I was thrilled. You know, you don't often get to do second time around. Is it hard to be able to sort of, I don't want to say kick away because it sounds like you're rejecting it, but like to find new creativeness and things within something that's been such a staple elsewhere in your life? Is that an easy sort of transition? What made it easy was because Nikolai Foster had a very clear idea of what Greasy was doing. He had the rights to the original, the very, very original book, but also using the four famous film songs songs that Robert Stigwood put into the musical. And because it is very different with some different songs in it, very much grounded in 1958 Chicago, Greece really was a true story of high school kids in Chicago who had little hope, sons, daughters of blue collar worker, when workers not expected to go to college, was a very different approach with the director searching for something different. So it really was easy to not recreate myself but find a new way of telling this story audiences are very protective of those types of books and stories and choreography and music because it means so much to them on an emotional level it so often reminds us of our childhood did you find that audiences were open to something new the audience have embraced this production of Greece we've have had two tours out and they have lapped it up. It is different, but it also has the thrill of Greece, the excitement of Greece, and many of the many of the parts of Greece that people know and love. They're all there. I would say, what's the difference? Just that there are some new pieces in it that audiences embrace. Wonderful, wonderful songs that were in the original production, then not in the musical, and they're now back in there. So I think it works and the audience seemed to love it. When you first did that production compared to now, was there a specific character? Because we all like to dream as to who we want to be. Was there a specific person you thought, I think that one's a little bit of me, and, and now you've gone back to it. Has that changed? I think my favourite character, although it really wasn't me, but I think it's Rizzo. Rizzo, uh, for me, she's many, many, many a girl. It doesn't matter what decade you're in. A girl who's angry because she never felt good enough. Yes, I go. I suppose that's a little, a little bit of me. And I, I really identify with her. I feel for her. I feel her anger and, and, and really understand it, you know, particularly when I was a teenager growing up. And I think she's a teenager that a lot of young people fall in love with simply because she's having a hard time. Isn't it interesting how obviously Sandy's the lead, but I do think audiences are really sort of cheering Rizzo on. I feel like if we did a poll, I sort of feel like Rizzo might have the lead. I think so too. Sandy feels ultimately secure, secure in her intelligence, secure in who she is. She has shiny patent shoes says a lot. You know, I think a lot of those kids in Chicago didn't have shiny patent shoes. Um, I think their life was pretty tough, 
tough. They didn't get posh shoes. So I think they that girls that didn't get the shiny shoes identify with Rizzo a lot. It's very, very exciting as well because you've got some rather famous faces also joining you in that production. I know that oh. today they announced Jason Donovan, of course, Peter yes. Andre as well. Do you yes. just you're just basically surrounded by attractive men now? You're you are a bit spoiled. <laughs> oh, I'm very, very lucky. But you know what? I've worked with both Jason and obviously Peter before on this tour. And they're not just very attractive men. They are both of them the loveliest, kindest people on earth. Jason is sweet and kind and generous. I work with him on The Sound of Music. You couldn't have a better leading man. Peter has done two tours of Greece and the cast just love him. Warm, generous, kind-hearted. And when you have a leading man like that, it really makes a difference. It shows how the cast respond. And they kind of take it on themselves to keep their eye on the cast. And that's a very, very special thing. And every show is very lucky to have a leading man like that. I remember doing an episode of Eleven just a few months ago with stage icon Lindsay Hately, and she spoke about uh-huh. returning to Joseph. And she said, mm-hmm. you know, these sorts of things, and quite rather a lot of numbers years later, don't really happen. But it was just an opportunity that she said, I just wanted to see, could I still do it? And it was a real personal journey for her. And I wondered, going back to Greece and being so incredibly successful with the tours and obviously with it now, moving into the West End. Does it make you think about what any of the other iconic shows that you've done you could potentially revisit? I, I love so many of my shows. I've been, I can't tell you, endlessly lucky, but Starlight is still running in Bochum. Saturday Night Fever, I did many. I haven't seen. There's another one out and there's another We Will Rock You. But I had the opportunity to do those beautiful shows But I love returning to a show. I love a challenge. And that is, how can you make a show that you've spent so many, many years on? How can you make it different? How different? How can you reinvent it? I think Greece has been reinvented for the better. I really do. It's really driven by the story. And when when you have a musical driven by the story really get your teeth into it and yeah I'd love to get a chance to probably relook at almost any of my shows. It'd be interesting to see the difference between then and now and how you've developed and learned all the skills along the way I feel like I feel like it'd be quite an emotional experience weirdly enough. It's always an emotional experience every show is like your latest child the baby that you have care for and nurture and and then bring up. I've spoken to lots of people about the awards that they've received throughout their career and, and people have have different answers to this so I'd love to know your thoughts on when you get recognized with certain accolades I mean you became a dame for services to the word of dance and charity and you also of course have your Olivier nominations as well alongside many many others when you're so publicly recognized and you get that sort of recognition does it make taking on new projects easier for you because you know that you've got those awards and you know you're good at it or does it add an extra level of pressure? I mean, I'm going to separate sort of film, TV, commercials, MTV awards, theatre awards, the kind of war awards that you're that you're given. I have never really allowed them to put too much weight onto me because I feel that the biggest award you can get for a show is an audience dancing at the end, walking out as if they're bouncing on air, applauding. That, for me, is the biggest award. So I don't get attached to those awards because some of the biggest shows I've done, they're not going to get awards. You know, some of the crowd-pleasing shows, they don't get awards. Your award is the reception from the audience, the applause. 
becoming something like a Dane is different. Oh, I kind of it, 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 it's something personal. It steals your heart. Something recognized by others that you don't recognize in yourself. It's for something that you do without thinking about it. You're calculating. When you're making a show, you're calculating, you're thinking about it. Awards like Becoming a Dame, you don't think about that. And then it comes and it's really emotional. It really makes you realize you have been recognized somewhere for something you've done right. So just try and hold that little moment in in, in your thoughts. Very quickly, you referenced at the start some of the amazing people that you've worked with. And I know you've been asked about working with Whitney Houston rather a lot on those amazing Mm -hmm. music videos. When you get a gift and an opportunity like that, which I imagine at the time you feel is very special, but actually for it to become such a huge part of of your career and to get to work with somebody like Whitney, does a moment like that feel like a gift? I feel like with the music videos I have made, I've been showered in gifts. They've come raining down on me. I've worked with so many huge stars. I was lucky to work with them, to meet them, to actually tell them to do this or do that. How many people get to do that in their lifetime? So special. And you did get to work and choreograph on my favourite song and artist of all time, Private Dancer with Tina Turner. I mean, honestly, thank you for that music video. Thank you for the brilliance in it. I mean it very genuinely. It's my favourite song of all time it's just extraordinary and and if you would sort of indulge me for a second is she and it everything I would hope oh my gosh we made that video in the Rivoli ballroom and the day that we were making the video previous day they had it had tested for asbestos And they allowed us to film there that day. It was the last day anyone was going to film in the Rivoli Ballroom before they were going to knock it down. The place was a mess. It was appalling. We were in this beautiful ballroom, but it was virtually sort of moth-eaten and tired. And there was nowhere to sit, no proper dressing rooms. There were boxes, orange boxes, out in the, the ballroom. And Tina sat on one of the orange boxes, surrounded by dancers, talking to everyone. Um, She was wonderful. It was a very long day and a very long night, but we got through and made that video. And, you know, honestly, it's one of my favorites. It it was a, a very, a very special day, meeting her, working with her, and just giving her the movement and the gesture and the different little pieces of storytelling that I'd sewn into it for her to respond to meant, yeah, a special moment in my life. And a piece of cultural pop mute rock, pop music history. It's a reference point that people talk about all the time, and that's your legacy. Yeah, that has been analysed by so many people looking at the music video and what it meant and questioning, you know, why the sailors, like, you know, all of it has resonated with people. There are so many other amazing parts of, of your career. I feel like I'm doing a real disservice by not going through all of them. So if anyone's yeah. listening to this, I mean it with great respect that we have to just wrap up now, but just thank you so much for your time. I have one very final question that I wanted to ask you. And I always feel like this is a question that, for example, when I asked Alan Menken, he was like, you make me sound very old. So this is absolutely not my intention, <laughs> but when we think about legacies and careers and what people hope they've brought to the industry, what sort of stuff they've added into the mix, when you look back on the success that you've had so far and perhaps the success you're of course going to have in the future, what do you hope your legacy to the industry will be? I 
want my legacy to be, if you want it, fight for it and don't stop fighting. Because if this little girl from Manchester, growing up with very little money, very little hope, eventually getting a pair of bright green ballet shoes when I wanted to get pink, can get through her life and become and do what I did, anyone can do it. The word and term legend is thrown around way too often and way too easily at the moment. But for you, it's absolutely applicable. So thank you so much, Dame Arlene Phillips, for the opportunity to talk to you today. I really appreciate it. And good luck with Greece and the Share Show. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure, William. It really has. You've been listening to Eleven, the official theatre podcast. Find out more about Eleven at elevenpodcast.com or via the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.